Welcome to Distressed Situations, a Reed Smith podcast. On this podcast, we cover current issues in financial restructuring over a wide variety of industries. I'm Keith Arzeda, a partner in Reed Smith's Global Restructuring and Insolvency Group, and I'm one of the hosts of this podcast. Whether your company is a financial institution or in industry, we hope our commentary will be useful in managing the risks associated with distress. If you have any questions about our topics, feel free to contact our speakers. Welcome, everyone, to the latest edition of Distress Situations by Reed Smith. I'm Michael Venditto from the New York office of Reed Smith. And I think we're all familiar with the words from the Emma Lazarus poem that are engraved on the Statue of Liberty. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Recently, we've seen those words given new meaning as a number of foreign businesses have come to the U.S. to restructure inside the golden door of the U.S. bankruptcy courts. But this trend in uh, cross-border insolvencies causes many of us, especially here in the U.S., to think that Chapter 11 is the only alternative for complex financial or business restructuring. So today we want to take a step back and take a look at some of the foreign insolvency schemes that are available for foreign businesses. And so for that purpose, I'm joined by two of my colleagues in Reed Smith's global insolvency practice. From London, we have Patrick Schumann, a member of our restructuring and insolvency team. And from our Frankfurt office, Volker Kamel, who focuses on distress situations and investments in distressed businesses. So, Patrick, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your practice? Uh, thanks so much, uh, Michael. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm a counsel in Reed Smith's uh, Restructuring and Insolvency Practice in London. I act for clients across the spectrum in the space, uh, being creditors, debtors, insolvency office holders, as well as agents and trustees. Um, and I advise on complex cross-border debt restructurings, workouts, and insolvencies. In my early days, I actually also worked on structured finance and bank lending transactions. Uh, and prior to joining Reed Smith, I spent many years working at another large U.S. law firm and also spent some time working in-house at banks and debt funds. Thank you. And Volker? Uh, yes, hello. A warm welcome from me as well. As Mike has already said, my name is Volker Kummel. I'm a German qualified lawyer resident in Reed Smith's Frankfurt office. I've been involved in insolvency and restructuring situations for more than 25 years, um, advising debtors, lenders, investors, and other stakeholders, both in out-of-court restructurings and during restructurings in insolvency proceedings. During this time, I've covered a wide area of um, various industries. Some examples include automotive suppliers, the construction industry, real estate, as of late, shipping and airlines, and businesses that are part of the textile industry. Thank you both. So we know that the restructuring process differs under U.S., U.K., and German law. So uh, let's begin by sort of outlining the different options for restructuring. Volker, let's start with restructuring in Germany. How does a, a business restructure debt in Germany? Michael, a debtor, since the beginning of this year, I may add, effectively has a choice. 
they can either go for a solvent restructuring of debt within a process which is very with very little court involvement that is aimed at preventing a full bankruptcy or insolvency proceeding. And of course, we've always had, or we've had for a significant period of time now, a restructuring in the course of insolvency proceedings. Let me start with the recent addition to the German legal regime, the solvent restructuring. The legal framework for the solvent restructuring only came into force at the beginning of the year, and the relevant bill is the Business Restructuring and Stabilization Act. The German abbreviation, which you may have heard, is STARUK. The way it works, just to outline that briefly, what happens is that a business in financial difficulties will approach some or all of its credit with a proposal for debt restructuring. The proposal will be contained in a plan of restructuring, which will allocate creditors to certain classes depending on their economic and legal rights. And these creditors will then vote on the plan. I may add at this point that you can't only restructure your debt, but also the rights of shareholders. And um, in that case, of course, you would also have shareholder classes involved in your plan of restructuring. If not everyone agrees, which is usually in these situations, you, you can approach a court which will then extend the restructuring plan and its effects to the non-consenting uh, uh, creditors. In other words, in the end, you effectively have everyone. The neat part of this new restructuring law is that court involvement is only or only occurs if and when the restructuring plan and the proposing debtor really need that. You can, for example, have a stay of enforcement for individual credit action, but only if the debtor thinks that is necessary and only if he applies for it. So it's a process which is driven mainly by the debtor with a very late and light court involvement. Little different is the insolvent restructuring, which is part, as I've said, of the insolvency proceeding. And this means that while it is similar in that the debtor will effectively propose a restructuring plan. And by the way, when this was added to our law, we very much copied Chapter 11. So you will see that a lot of this is familiar, or it ought to be familiar to you. This plan proposal is submitted to the uh, uh, insolvency court after insolvency proceedings have been applied for. So you've got a court involvement right from the beginning. And then it's again, depending on whose rights are going to be uh, amended, it is the creditors and the stakeholders that are divided into classes and that vote on um, the plan. And if the majority accepts the plan, then it can be confirmed by the court. And this confirmation extends the effects of the plan to the dissenting creditors as well. Now, we've heard that both are pretty similar. So what really are the differences? Why have two types of restructurings if the whole plan approval process is similar? Well, there are some differences which in practice are going to be very important. Firstly, a German restructuring is only available to a debtor, and this is in the sense of a legal requirement, if he is in some kind of a crisis. Now, the solvent restructuring is available only very early on in the crisis, when the debtor's illiquidity is pending. What this means is that if the, the debtor needs to determine and to show in the court process that in a period of 24 months, the coming 24 months, he is going to be at some point unable to pay his debts that become due because of a lack of cash. 
If he can do that, then his illiquidity is pending and he can apply for a solvent restructuring. An insolvent restructuring can also occur in the case of a pending illiquidity, but also if the crisis is further gone. In other words, if illiquidity has already occurred or if the debtor entity, assuming it is a corporate, it is over-indebted, meaning it is no longer going concern and its assets are less than its liabilities. So phase of the crisis is the first distinction between the two processes. Also, selection of creator groups. An insolvent restructuring will affect all the creator groups. In a solvent restructuring, similar to an English scheme, which Patrick's probably going to come to, you can choose. You may want to only restructure one class of your creators or two classes or all of them. That is the choice of the debtor. Thirdly, insolvency is to some extent at least always a public process in Germany. The insolvency decision by the insolvency court, which starts the proceeding, is published, as is the appointment of an administrator or of a preliminary administrator. And this publication shows not only the name of the debtor entity, that it is insolvent, but also further details. So in other words, your customers, the customers of your business, and also the suppliers of your business and other stakeholders will know exactly that you are now insolvent which will mean that customers in practice will start withholding payments because of possible warranties. You will see that suppliers will no longer give you the same payment terms and may even require you to pay up front for any supplies, which in turn means that life becomes very difficult for your business. So you may want to choose a discrete type of restructuring, and that is possible by means of the um, solvent restructuring, where effectively you only need to approach those stakeholders whose rights you want to amend and If you want to avoid it, you can avoid all publication. And finally, and I'm going to get to this in more detail later on, insolvent restructuring affords various uh, possibilities of operational restructuring, meaning effectively cost-cutting measures, simplifying such cost-cutting measures, which a solvent restructuring wouldn't enable you to do. But I've spoken for long enough. Back to you, Michael. Well, Volker, I have a question before we sort of move on. And that is in both the solvent and insolvent restructuring, do you have the ability to bind non-consenting creditors? Or does this totally require consent from your creditors? You have the ability to bind your dissenting creditors. As I say, that was that was always the huge problem in German restructuring outside of insolvency. And with the bill that came into effect at the beginning of this year, you can now bind dissenting creditors as well. Thank you. So, Patrick, I think virtually everyone knows about the UK schemes. What, what are the alternatives for restructuring in the UK? Yeah, sure. But just to briefly outline, so effectively, if a borrower cannot find a consensual deal with its creditors to restructure debts, there are essentially three mechanisms to restructure debt obligations as uh, described uh, by statute under English law, and that's the scheme of arrangement the restructuring plan, and the company voluntary arrangement. Uh, all of these procedures can be used by companies outside as well as inside formal insolvency proceedings. And when they're obviously inside informal, uh, formal proceedings, they'd be proposed by the relevant insolvency office holder. And when outside, then by the debtor. Uh, and all three enjoy wide popularity and are frequently used by borrowers in financial difficulties. Now, in terms of the principal differences, a scheme of arrangement is a court-sanctioned compromise between a company and its creditors or any class of them. So in other words, the company can decide which creditors, in particular which classes of creditors, it wants to scheme. 
and make subject to the debt compromise. Uh, it essentially involves the company then dividing those creditors into classes and proposing a, a deal, if you want, to effectively reduce the debt claims in return for another form of payment or other compensation. Uh, that is to be at least as much as the creditors would receive uh, in a formal insolvency distribution. Uh, it requires the approval of 70%, 75% in value uh, and a majority number in each class of creditors. And it is supervised and eventually sanctioned uh, by court. The restructuring plan is actually quite a new feature of English law. It was only introduced in the summer of 2020. Uh, and broadly follows the, the scheme process in terms of the procedure. But the one principal change is that it now includes a cram-down mechanism. It effectively enables a cram-down of non-consenting classes, provided that at least one in-the-money uh, class approved, a, a class that would, uh, in the insolvency, receive some kind of economic interest. And B, everyone else receives at least as much as in the relevant alternative, i.e. if the plan were not approved, what's the likely outcome? Let's say the company then went, uh, had to file for insolvency. Uh, so in other words, everyone needs to get at least as much as in that alternative scenario. Uh, one additional difference to a scheme of arrangement is that, that the company must be in financial difficulties. So in essence, it's, if not a formal, but sort of a technical insolvency-related process. And that's a difference to schemes uh, which are not only used in a corporate restructuring context, but also in corporate M&A transactions, as well as to compromise insurance claims. But that's another topic. And then finally, a CVA is a slightly different beast in that it's, it cannot compromise secured obligations. It's only used to compromise unsecured debts. And the way it works is that all of the unsecured creditors vote uh, on the company's proposal, and if 70% or more in value of all unsecured creditors vote in favor, plus 50% in value of those voting against are unconnected creditors, then the proposals are approved. So in other words, schemes have historically been used to restructure a company's balance sheet by compromising the uh, debtor's main financial obligations. Uh, so think your, your bond obligations, your, your uh, syndicated loan obligations, and so on. Whereas CVAs are, are typically used to compromise the company's principal unsecured obligations, and those often in recent cases have been, uh, been leased obligations. So think of the big retail companies uh, with a big portfolio of, of uh, leases. They have been frequently subject of uh, CVAs. Now, the interesting thing is that the restructuring plan actually enables a combination of both, right? Because you can now uh, use the, the plan to effectively compromise your financial obligations as well as operational creditors and unsecured debts, and importantly, also your equity, which was possible but quite difficult in schemes of arrangement. You effectively had to combine it with other restructuring tools uh, because remember that in schemes, every class needs to consent. And since invariably in such situations, you would completely compromise the equity, they would vote against it. So really, it was quite difficult to, to de-equitize the shareholders. Whereas now, of course, and with a cram down scenario under a restructuring plan, you no longer need their consent to effectively uh, compromise the, the shareholders. So, so the a restructuring plan is very likely going to be the tool of choice for corporates with complex capital structures and an urgent need to restructure their debt obligations. 
But as I said, the, the RP is, is relatively new, so we'll, the case law on that is still evolving. So we'll we'll see we'll see how that um, evolves going forward. Well, as you know, here in the U.S., we have uh, the Chapter 11 reorganization plan. It's not as old as schemes, but in the years that it's been in place, it's proved to be incredibly flexible. It, it has a, a number of very important benefits for reorganizing companies, one of which, of course, is the worldwide automatic stay. The other is the ability to bind uh, non-consenting creditors. And third is, is the existence of a very specialized court that is able to exercise this incredible jurisdiction that's granted under the U.S. Bankruptcy Code. Although the bankruptcy code itself was designed specifically for dealing with uh, the restructuring of U.S. businesses, we found that because of the flexibility and some of the procedural advantages uh, that companies doing business outside the U.S. have had to come to the U.S. to restructure. We see that most recently with some um, energy companies and airlines. Because the tools that are available in a Chapter 11 are so wide-ranging and flexible. Of course, we do have Chapter 15, which is the um, U.S. enactment of the uncontrolled cross-border insolvency regime. The difference is, well, the Chapter 11 is a tactical tool for fixing strategic problems. Uh, most non-U.S. jurisdictions give an insolvent company one alternative to sell or liquidate, but Chapter 11 is a tool that creates a number of options, whereas Chapter 15 gives domestic effect to a reorganization under the laws of a foreign country. So right now what we're seeing in the U.S., I think, is a lot of restructuring that's the outgrowth or the residue of the pandemic and the, the shutdowns across businesses particularly in the hospitality industry, though over the last several months, that seems to have slowed down considerably. Kamal, in Germany, what businesses can restructure and, and, and what's the current market in restructuring looking like? Yeah, the current market, to start off with that, is um, that we are still very much seeing the effects of massive government aid on businesses. And this government aid has just been, or at least their plans in place, going to be extended until September of this year. So what it effectively does, it allows businesses to continue. So we are not seeing a huge increase in uh, insolvencies and by that token restructurings yet. We do think that that will come once the government aid has um, uh, uh, run out. At the moment, there is some contingency planning in the sense, you know, I'm not going to be able to pay my debts in 24 months or whatever it is. What do I do? That we certainly see, but the market is still fairly slow as regards new insolvencies. In general, what businesses can restructure in Germany? Well, we are pretty much jurisdiction focused in the sense that we can only have a restructuring uh, in front of German courts if those courts have international jurisdiction. That means that for both solvent and insolvent restructurings, the center of main interest, frequently abbreviated the COMI, of an entity or a person must be in Germany. Now, COMI is defined as the place where a business conducts the administration of its interests 
on a regular basis as ascertainable by third parties. You know, difficult definition, rule of thumb is always, is the headquarters of the business located in Germany and can third parties, in particular creditors, ascertain that that is the case? If the company is in Germany, we can have both a solvent and an insolvent restructuring in this country. In the case of insolvency, there are also, or there is also, jurisdiction of German courts for so-called territorial insolvency proceedings. If an establishment of that business, which has its Comey elsewhere, is located in Germany, and in the case where the Comey is located in a non-EU member state, if the business has property located in Germany, then we can conduct insolvency proceedings with respect to those businesses, but the effects of those insolvency proceedings are limited to the assets located in Germany. This may also be a quite a good moment to speak to the recognition of foreign insolvency in proceedings in Germany, the, the, our equivalent of your Chapter 15, if you so wish. If there is an insolvency proceeding from a member state of the European Union, recognition is simple. It is automatically recognized as provided for in the relevant European insolvency regulation. Matters are more difficult, at least in theory, if we are talking about an insolvency process from a country that is not an EU member state. But even here, German private international law is very liberal. In principle, we recognize insolvency proceedings from other countries. The little bit of a difficulty here is that it needs to be an insolvency proceeding, meaning it is comparable, at least vaguely comparable, to an insolvency proceeding under German law. In other words, the foreign process will need to meet three requirements. It needs to be a response to financial difficulties of the debtor. It needs to be a court proceeding or at least a proceeding supervised by a governmental authority. And thirdly, it needs to be aimed at the satisfaction of all the creditors. If it meets those three requirements, it's recognized as an insolvency proceeding in Germany, unless an exception to which I'm going to come now applies. You'll be relieved to hear, Michael, that Chapter 11s are recognized in this country. <laughs> Patrick, I'm not so sure about schemes of arrangement, at least uh, with respect to uh, this sort of insolvency recognition. The UK has in the past always maintained that at least the traditional scheme of arrangement is not an insolvency proceeding, albeit with a view to the European insolvency regulation, but that may now create issues as to whether we can recognize schemes of arrangement post-Brexit. It simply is uncertain at the moment, and I can't give you an answer as to whether this is possible. If proceedings are recognized, it's automatic recognition. You don't need to go through an additional court process. If you have an administrator or your debtor in possession, can use their special bankruptcy rights in this country. I mentioned two exceptions to um, recognition. The first one is the courts in the other country must have jurisdiction according to German rules. In other words, we will accept or recognize insolvency proceedings of foreign countries, which are not EU member states, if the COMI of the business that is insolvent is located in that country. And there we may find that uh, other countries often assume jurisdiction on a different basis, and then it's going to become complicated to have that recognized in Germany. And secondly, we will not recognize any consequences of foreign proceeding that is, contravenes German public order, but that is your usual exception in international cases anyway. You know, one of the real distinctive 
aspects of Chapter 11 in the U.S. is the total absence of any concept like Comey. And one of the reasons that the golden doors of the bankruptcy courts are open to so many foreign debtors is that U.S. bankruptcy courts will exercise jurisdiction over a debtor that comes to the U.S. if they have any assets located in the U.S. And that's a very low bar, which means that it's very easy for a company to come into the U.S. and and use the Chapter 11 process. Patrick, what about in the U.K.? Uh, yeah, it's actually uh, a similar story in the UK. I mean, maybe just briefly touching on the state of the market. It's also uh, quite an interesting situation in the UK because uh, on the one hand, formal insolvencies are way down com- compared to last year uh, or sort of the average uh, historically. Uh, and that is a, a similar situation as, as Volker described. You know, there's a huge level of government support available to companies. Uh, there are, have been restrictions on the insolvency filing requirements put in place and so on. So, so the big question, of course, is how sustainable is that and what happens once government support is withdrawn? So, so we'll have to wait and see on that. On the other hand, we've had a number of very high-profile implementations of the restructuring tools that I've discussed. So, for example, both the airline Virgin Atlantic and the gym group Virgin Active have used the restructuring plan to restructure their debt obligations. Retail businesses such as New Look have used the CVA to compromise uh, their leases. So um, so there's been quite a bit of activity on that front. And maybe just to touch on what businesses can be restructured in the UK. Uh, actually, similar to what you were describing, Michael, on uh, Chapter 11, the test to qualify as a debtor for both schemes and restructuring plans is fairly low. Basically, the company needs to have a sufficient connection to England uh, in order to be able to propose either a scheme or, or an RP. And that's a relatively easy test to satisfy. Uh, Comey, of course, does, does work, but you know your English law governed debt documents uh, or an English entity in the group assuming the relevant debt obligations would be sufficient. So there's a, a number of different ways in which you can manufacture sufficient connection if you don't already have it. And as a result, it's been, at least a scheme, historically been a, a very popular tool for entities that are um, incorporated or primarily active out of other jurisdictions than the UK, uh, you know, of course, out of uh, Europe, but, but even further uh, abroad as well. Uh, a slightly different situation with the CVA. Uh, in that sense, uh, in that case, the Comey of the company must be in the UK. So, so it's a little bit harder to satisfy that test. Um, and so it, it's a more local regime, if you want. And what businesses have come to the UK to implement the financial restructuring? Well, a, a fairly broad, broad range, as I said, you know, we've had Codera, a Spanish gaming company, a Noble Group, uh, which is a Hong Kong-based commodity trader, uh, Metinvest, a Dutch Holcov, a mining group, and so on. So, so as you can see, uh, it's it's a popular tool across the world, really, uh, and it's been a main selling point for the UK's restructuring market over time. And maybe just to t- touch finally on the on the topic of uh, recognition, you know, as, as Volker said, the uh, Brexit situation has truly complicated the landscape. Right before we could either for formal insolvency proceedings or for schemes outside of insolvency. We had mechanisms under the applicable European directives, which led to automatic recognition across the EU. And that's clearly a great selling point. 
Now those, as a result of Brexit, have been done away with. And now we're really scrambling as insolvency professionals to find solutions uh, to an entirely new landscape. And suffice to say, and it's a topic by itself, but suffice to say that at the moment there is no blanket solution. You know, in certain jurisdictions, such as Germany, as we've heard, may be easier to obtain recognition than in others. But ultimately, uh, it's it's still a difficult situation. Chapter 15, uh, Michael, as you know, uh, helps in terms of recognition in the US, but at least for entities active in Europe, that's still uh, there's still a number of unanswered questions. So uh, so that's a watch this space. That's a developing area of law. In the US, Chapter 11 provides a number of benefits to the restructuring process. Your management and directors remain in control of the business and the the process. You have the automatic stay, has global effect. Um, outside the U.S., bankruptcy stays often do not apply to secured creditors. In the U.S., it does. We have the ability to selectively assume and reject contracts and leases. We can cram down secured creditors, and it makes the reorganization binding on non-consenting creditors. So, Volker, what would you say are the main benefits of the restructuring process in Germany if you had to go out and sell this process to a foreign country that was looking to improve their restructuring laws, what would you say that they should take away from the German process? I think two sort of advantages. Firstly, it's a tried and tested environment in this country. Um, restructuring courts and insolvency courts have been doing restructuring work for quite some time. You've got the right um, professionals here. You've got the financiers. You've got the, um, the business people that can know how to run restructuring. So that part is fine. And then the, the second advantage is the things you can achieve. And some advantages you mentioned for the U.S. apply to Germany as well. Now, things you can achieve in both solvent and insolvent restructurings are, of course, that you reduce a business's debt or you at least defer the payment of that debt. You can reduce or totally release the security rights of creditors. You can amend membership rights of existing shareholders, which, of course, is particularly important if you want to, if there, you know, there is no longer any equity left. You want to attract new investors. You somehow have to get rid of the existing shareholders. Then a new ad since the beginning of the year, you can reduce the debt of group guarantors or the security supplied by group companies for your business's debts without those uh, group companies having to go uh, into any kind of purse of their own. You can do that in your debtor business process. You've already mentioned for the US a stay of debt enforcement. Now, this is not automatic in Germany, but if um, the management in possession or an insolvency administrator applies for that stay of enforcement, they're going to get it. It's going to be passed by court order. Advantages of solvent restructuring, not in insolvent restructuring, are that you can amend the terms of multi-party financing, you know, individual terms in agreements. And that is, for example, the case with respect to syndicated loans, with respect to intercredit agreements, with respect to bonds, and also a European favorite, Schutzscheindarlehen, which is effectively a loan note that is drafted in a way that gets sold between various lenders. Then come the advantages of an insolvent restructuring. As you've said, for the US, the directors, if they so apply, will remain in control. We call it self-administration, you call it debtor in possession. The directors, or if an insolvency administrator is appointed because they haven't applied, 
may selectively assume and reject executory contracts, and you have very short notice periods for leases and employment contracts. And the whole possibly necessary process of laying off employees, which unfortunately very often needs to be done, is very much simplified in an insolvency setting. You also have a cross-class cramdown, both insolvent and insolvent restructurings. And as we've already said, that any sort of restructuring plan that is confirmed by a court insolvent and insolvent restructuring binds dissenting creditors. So in summary, I think we've got an incredibly comprehensive toolbox of restructuring tools to really affect the restructuring in this country in any kind of uh, situation that we need. Uh, Patrick, if I ask you the same question, I, I know that the scheme process has been successfully exported around the world. I, I've done work on schemes in Hong Kong and throughout, of course, the Caribbean. But what would you say are the benefits of the overall restructuring process in the UK? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. The scheme and its success speaks for itself. Uh, and not only, only that, as you may have heard, European restructuring regimes, including Germany, are, have or are in the process of being upgraded as a result of the European Restructuring Directive. And the parameters set by that directive are principally derived or inspired by the scheme and Chapter 11. So, so, so we know that clearly it's a mechanism that works. But, the, you know, in addition to that, clearly we have, as I mentioned, a very long history of case law and a very experienced and commercial judiciary who is used to working in, uh, on the tight timelines and in respect of very complex restructuring situations. So when you combine that, you, 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 you understand the popularity of the UK restructuring toolkit for uh, debtors uh, across Europe and beyond. And, and in, in particular, if you think about it, the reason why uh, debtors have come to the UK is because there's no viable tool uh, available under the local jurisdictions. And the judges have used their powers to manage the impact of the uh, scheme process on the operations of the businesses by dealing with uh, ancillary liabilities such as guarantees too, and very carefully managing recognition issues in that context too. Uh, of course, there's also a very experienced body of advisors who know how to lock up uh, the requisite number of creditors uh, and achieve the desired outcome on a very quick timeline. Um, and I think now with the introduction of the restructuring plan, it sort of completes the, the package required because the, the cram down now uh, opens up an entirely new uh, world of possibilities, if you want, uh, in terms of implementing and restructuring procedures where you would otherwise be faced with a holdout creditors. So, so I think that's um, that's really a, a great bonus for, for debtors seeking to restructure their liabilities in the UK. Patrick Falker, I want to thank you for joining us today. This has been interesting for, I hope, our listeners. We've worked together in the past, and I think we'll be working a lot together in the future as we sort of come out of the effects of the worldwide economic slowdown with COVID. And I invite any of our listeners who are interested or have questions about restructuring in the UK or Germany or the US to reach out to any of the three of us. We'd be happy to answer your questions. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Distress Situations by Reed Smith. Distressed Situations is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. 
For more information about Reed Smith's restructuring and insolvency practice, please email distressedsituations at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and on our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved. 